Hello, and welcome to Moments That Made Her, a podcast where the rare and unique women that hold senior private equity roles share their stories, including the key personal and professional moments that define their journeys and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm Kirstie McGuire, Executive Director of PE Win. For those of you joining us for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women Investor Network also known as P.E. Win, We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. P.E. Win provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit pewin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of P.E. Win, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as the Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets until she let it sail in 2014. She is now the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation, and serves on the board of the Greenbrier Companies and Grasshopper Bank, and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Welcome to our latest episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm your host, Kelly Williams, the founding chair of the Private Equity Women's Investor Network, and the Chief Executive Officer of the Williams Legacy Foundation. And I am so excited about my guest today. Uh, Mina Pacheco-Nizemi is a dear friend, um, someone I worked with for a very long time, um, someone who I just think is an extraordinary person. And I am so excited to have this conversation with her today. She is the Head of Diversified Alternative Equity at Bearings. And welcome, Mina, to Moments That Made Her. Well, thank you. And I'm more excited than you are <laughs> to <laughs> reconnect with you on this in this forum. And um, it's, I worked for you for 10 years and there were great 10 years. And so super excited to be here and um, share, share with you my thoughts on what's going on in the world and um, especially for women in private equity. Wonderful. Well, I want to start where we always start, which is Tell our listeners a little bit about how and where you grew up. So I am um, the daughter of two immigrants. Um, My mother is from Mexico, Mexico City, and my father is from Iran, so from Tehran. And I grew up in Los Angeles, so I always say the best of a best of LA, Mexican and Persian, and. I, I grew up with them. Both of them, you know, were two small business owners in their own way. My, my father had a small record store in Santa Monica and Santa Monica just by the pier. And my mom, um, is a physician, but she had her own practice and she was an OBGYN. So they both had their own businesses and, um, at a very young age got really exposed to what it is to run a business and things, what to do and not do. So, um, I wouldn't say that like I knew what finance was from growing up, but there was some, you know, innate things that you learn from, um, you know, 
running inventory at my dad's store and going to Capitol Records and make sure I had the, we had the latest copy of, you know, whatever was on the top 100 billboard hits. Um, but it was just really fundamental because I, I always say that finance and investing is, is really just common sense and um, just got a lot of common sense on, you know, what to do and how to make money, how you can lose money at a very, very young age. So one question I have for you is how did your dad's uh, business influence your taste in music? <laughs> so I have, yes. So I love everything. The one, the one genre that I don't like is country, uh, but I listen to pretty much all, all types of music. And, uh, and of course, um, yeah, I mean, just being a kid, just growing up in the eighties in Santa Monica and my dad had like the, the music server. So, you know, I, I was pretty hip and cool because I could get at the time the latest records or, you know, and then it was the latest CDs and which was also kind of, you know, a new, new, and it was hard to get, especially for some of those hot hits. So, um, so it was, it was pretty awesome. Well, of course I know since, um, I now have a house outside of Charlotte and my niece lives in Charlotte. It's hard to avoid yeah. country music there, but, but luckily, I know. <laughs> luckily you, you can get any kind of music these yeah. days. Um, That's every weird. time my, my niece drives my car, I get in and it's blaring country music, which I have to quickly change to rap as yeah. people who know me know that I much prefer hip hop and rap. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, what was your first job? So my first job actually was, um, so I always say my first job always started in my career started in insurance. I worked for Prudential Insurance and I worked out of the headquarters in Newark, New Jersey and um, went through a program there where I had the opportunity to uh, go through a couple different groups. And I um, ended up really doing private placements from both the real estate and also from a corporate standpoint. Um, I begged to get out of Newark, New Jersey, so went to San Francisco. And but um, I always say that you know, learning to invest in a place which is super conservative and from an insurance standpoint made me a really good fundamental investor. And um, and so yeah, um, obviously now being at Bearings owned by Mass Mutual, it's, like, it's come full circle um, being in the insurance world. Exactly, it it feels familiar. Well, I think now you are. My third guest who uh, worked at Prudential, um, and of course I did as well, as you of know, course. but uh, Jerry Harmon um, and Kim Liu and yourself all had part of your career at Prudential, and I'm, I'm very fond of that company. It taught me a lot. And, uh, and when I was there, um, obviously I'm older than you, it was one of the most diverse places I had ever worked, um, which was really quite extraordinary. And um, obviously when you move to other types of places that aren't quite as diverse, it's a bit shocking, but, um, but yeah, it was a very special place. So not surprised to hear that that was part of your grounding. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, to your point, the fact that they embraced DNI before it was in vogue is really meaningful and, and it speaks to the culture, but also how forward thinking the organization was right. Uh, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so when did you decide to pursue a career in private equity? As you said, you didn't grow up kind of knowing about finance. I think right. most women don't. We're not socialized that way. Um, but when did you decide that private equity was the thing that you really wanted to uh, to pursue? 
so I had been at Peru and then um, had done and had more exposure to your traditional private placements. Um, and then I went to go work for Bill Hambrick. And um, Bill Hambrick, for many people who know the industry, started Hambrick and Quist and sold it to Chase, was um, really a big visionary in technology, uh, worked at um, and really founded a, an initial backer for uh, many great companies like Salesforce.com as an example. And I uh, ended up working for him right before the internet bubble and, um, and really through kind of that internet bubble and had really the, I mean, I was lucky to be in the seat where I worked for um, his number two um, in deploying capital in distressed um, internet and technology companies. And they were mostly on the public side. So if you think about um, there had been that internet bubble and a lot of these great businesses had gone from hundreds of dollars per share and had gone to pennies on the dollar. My job was really to scour the universe and and, and invest capital from the balance sheet and and even um, some of it was cap personal capital um, to invest in some of those businesses. And there was, I really enjoyed the fact that we were picking great businesses um, that were overlooked and there was just obviously the markets were where they were. And, um, and what I loved the most was spending time with management teams. And I remember um, I had, a, we had a great meeting with, at the time it was 1-800-Flowers.com, which had gone public, right? And, and them sitting down with management and talking about what that business was or um, the management team for Earthlink, which does a lot of rural internet connectivity. And, and we're talking back in 2000, 2001, 2002 time period. So uh, it's really when it clicked that I wanted to, transition away from public markets, go in the private equity. But I knew that my strength was more long-term versus the short-term, right? Thinking about and working with management teams, um, which all pointed to working on the private equity side. And so that's when I went to business school and um, got connected through the Twigo network. And um, my, my Twigo mentor was um, the CIO of GE Asset Management, um, a gentleman by the name of John Myers. And he said, look, um, we've never had a woman um, work on our private equity team, and I'd love for you to come, come work here. So that's how I transitioned over to private equity and haven't, haven't had a change of career uh, since. So it's, all, it's been since when I got exposed there uh, was 2003. And so, and as, and as you know, I worked there for four years before I got the lucky call from, from you, Kelly, to come work for you at, at CPIG. <laughs> well, so, um, as you know, Twigo is something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm, I'm the vice chair of the board and, and have been involved there for a long time, but for our, our listeners who don't know about the Twigo foundation, maybe talk a little bit about that. So Sue and Robert Twigo had, spent um, many years in the asset management industry and had realized that there was a void in the industry with women, but mostly people of color. They created the foundation, which really targeted um, people of color at top, uh, top tier MBA schools and um, created almost a community and network of this talent pool um, to not only inform and educate them about the opportunities in the asset management world, uh, but more importantly, um, create really a source of talent for, um, you know, asset managers, right? Asset managers 
or public pension plans. And so through the Twigo network, uh, you have a class, you have your cohort, um, um, and it's grown significantly. I think they're now closer to 75, 100 students um, nationwide. And you can call it a network, but to be honest with you, it's more of a family, right? It's more of a family because everyone's supporting each other. Everybody wants everybody to succeed. And, um, and Twigo is really a, like this, the secret weapon, right? Because I can call anybody from a lot of these other asset management firms who are maybe experts in their own sectors and you can get real access and real information. Um, and so it's just amazing. And obviously it connects individuals like you, Kelly, but also um, a lot of huge um, allocators where diversity is quite important. So moving away from the talk on DNI and and more to the do, which is hiring talent, retaining um, talent at these platforms and promoting talent to very senior levels. And so that's that's what Twigo is. And it's um, it's that network, but it's also, um, like I said, more of that family because we all are very supportive of each other, very similar to what PE Win is on the with women in the industry as well. Right. And so, you know, should be no surprise that Twigo and PE Win have a great partnership in the Twigo Rise program, which right. is really um, an offshoot of the Groundbreakers program, the Women's Leadership Program that Twigo started a number of years ago. Myself and a number of other women helped to uh, to found that initiative. And for PE Win, uh, what we do is provide female mentors to high potential mid-career women. I always say, you know, there are a lot of private equity firms in the industry that, you know, are sincere about wanting to advance women, but unfortunately they don't have any senior women in their right. firms. And so I always say, if you don't have a woman, rent a woman, we'll, we'll rent you one from <laughs> PE Win. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so the Twigo Rise has been a great partnership for us. Absolutely. Well, and, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it, it, that you know, it leads to then my next question for you, which is, um, you know, can you think of defining moments or kind of turning points that stand out for you in your career that led you not just to participate in private equity, but actually to become a senior member of the industry? I mean, the, I would say one of the defining moments was. Um, well, look, I mean, to be honest, is having having you as my boss and having come work for you where um, at, up to that point in time, I had mostly worked for, you know, white males. I had never worked for a strong, powerful, intelligent woman. And um, there's an element of, of being able to see someone in that position in an organization like a Credit Suisse, right, where, um, you know, it's it's. It's, it's really kind of Wall Street. It can be cutthroat and so forth, but having someone like like you to um, model after, but see that it's possible, right? And, and women um, are able to kind of move up in the world, but not only move up in the world, but be smarter. You were the smartest one in the industry. So just being able to see that is, I would say is quite defining. And I always say, especially for any young women, um, sometimes it's really hard to imagine a color you've never seen. Right. And so if you think about it and when you see women in those positions, right, you can now see yourself in that same spot. So I think that is um, I can't underscore how powerful that is and how defining that was for me. And it continues to be defining for me. And I would say that's probably first first and foremost. Um, the other defining moment, I think, for me has been um, really just 
um, having had the opportunity, I mean, when you think about private equity, it's so long-term, right? And it's one thing where you can doubt yourself along the way. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making money for your clients? But that's what I love about this industry is five, 10 years later, you can look back and say, I made those right decisions, right? I made money for my clients. And um, and that's what I love about our industry. It's, it can be so black and white, right? And so you can get away from all the nuances, um, but are, do clients end up respecting you because you're making the right call for them? You're, you're helping them avoid any capital loss type situations. So it's really that kind of that 10 year point, right? Five, 10 year point where you can look back and you said, okay, I've done the right thing. So I would say those are two different, two different things that have created that, um, given me the confidence, right? Because you know, you can go over to all the great schools in the world, right? But it's only when you have some validation from your clients who keep on coming back and saying, I want to continue to give money to you. That for me is quite defining where it just gives me just more confidence to, to move forward. Um, and especially as you think about, as you know, Kelly, we've been, you know, at the forefront on the DNI side and impact the fact that, um, now there's just so much more interest on it, but having done that for a long time and made money along the way for clients also gives me, um, has given me, a, it's been defining for me as well, that we were right along the way, our instincts were correct and, um, and we're here to do more. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, um, to your, to your first point about you, you, you can't describe a color you haven't seen before, you even recognize it. I always say to women, particularly women leaders, that it's really important for your team to see you win. And what I mean by that is um, women tend to overcompensate in terms of giving credit to other people or not claiming their own success. And, and certainly we know lots of people take credit for women's success, but it's really important for um, for your team and your colleagues to see you win because women don't need to be trained how to be leaders. We are natural leaders. We lead our families, you know, children follow us. They know mom's the one who's got to get them fed, get them educated. You know, dad's, dad's not the one doing that, right? What women need to develop are followership skills. We need to get people to follow us. And one of the ways they do that is to see you win. And that was, you know, that was one of the things I, I made sure that our team did was see, you know, and understand what strategies I was using, how I was developing client relationships, um, you know, how I was tactically outmaneuvering other people um, because I wanted them to know that they could follow me and they could trust their career with me. And that's something that I think most women don't get a lot of training on in their career. Um, so I, it's in no surprise. I'm not surprised to hear you, you say the same thing. You understand that as well. Um, and I think that I would agree with you having that natural, we, we know the natural instinct that, you know, investing with women or people of color, you're not giving up anything in terms of return. Um, you know, as, as you know, in our business, we had 30 billion in assets under management. I think that was like the best example of, um, that you don't give up anything by trusting your money with, with women and people of color. So, um, yeah. And it's really nice to look back and know that the calls you made were correct. 
couldn't agree with well, you more. And, and you have the, 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 the followership of, uh, you know, of a lifetime, right? I mean, you have like all these people out in the industry and, and in great spots because you trained us all well. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's phenomenal. And I, and I do, as I lead and as I lead my group, I, um, I, you know, I'm kind of continuing on with that legacy that you kind of instilled in me and, um, and continuing that on, because as you know, I have, um, people on my team who were my SEO interns and who are now my partners and now on my investment committee. And so, um, we're developing really great, great talent along the way. Um, and so absolutely we need more of that. And, um, and I think there's just, this is what's great about having these podcasts is just creating more awareness and not just awareness with other women, but, um, other even white men so that they know that they need to support and promote us as women um, because we ultimately are great leaders and who can create value for, for their businesses or asset management firms as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, so are there times, and I know the answer to this already, but um, are there times or particular moments that made you particularly aware that you were a woman or particularly a woman of color in the private equity industry, things that stand out, and and how did you how did you deal with that? Um. Yes, I mean all, all the time, and I would I've been in multiple meetings where I am coming in with a male colleague, and even though I'm senior to that individual by multiple levels, um, you know the room addresses that other individual as the senior person, not not because of what he says is, but just more of just by, by gender. So absolutely. But, um, and I know that happens and I know just by the color of my skin, even by my name, right. I know that I'm not necessarily what um, people expect to be in this business. That being said, um, I actually use that to my advantage because they think, oh, what is, what is she going to say? So, you know, you kind of follow along and I, you know, this is a business, especially in private equity where I'm exploiting, inefficiencies and, and, um, and information is critical. So you, you, you do end up using that to, um, and I do end up using that to my own favor, but it's still a challenge, right? It's still a challenge because, um, the industry still, um, there's just still innate biases. Um, and so maybe you can argue that glass ceiling is there and maybe we've been able to move it up with time, but it still just exists. So, um, that's where I go back to, um, I'm, I'm confident in what I do for clients. I'm confident in the performance that I deliver. And that's what I got to hang my hat on. And then that's where I just got to hope that the market um, recognizes the beside, you know, beyond the fact that I'm a woman of color and, and gives me capital because I know how to perform and I know how to make the money. But that, that bias still exists, unfortunately, in this world. And, um, and we can only change it by demonstrating that investing with us makes, um, a big difference and, um, and they can generate outsized returns. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, people have heard me talk about this before on the podcast. I'm a big believer in that you use the fact that you're different. You're the only woman in the room or you're the only person of color in the room to your advantage because they're going to remember what you say because they're not expecting you to say anything. And so right. what you say actually really stands out. So, um, and I, you know, again, it's, it's important to make people um, to make people feel comfortable once they've recognized that they've made a big mistake and <laughs> made the wrong assumption, but uh, 
but yeah, every one of us have, I think we could probably have an entire conference (laughs) on that topic. Everybody's got a story to tell. So what would you say you consider a high point in your career to date? Um, well, it's been, it's been, um, you know, the last five years of being on this bearings platform has been great. And, um, and then having moved me up to be the head of our, our diversified alternative equity in the last year has been really fantastic. Um, and, and a good, great high point just from the fact that I've been interested with the leadership of our team and, um, and really just based on the fact that I've been able to build a business here and have um, strong returns and the fact that we've, you know, the last five years, we've done better than the 30 years that we've been doing this here at Bearings. So I think that's been really a great, great high point. Um, and, but it all comes in partnership, right? And, and these things don't happen in a vacuum. And the fact that we have a great supportive parent, Mass Mutual has been just good because they've, they've, they've trusted me and they gave me that, that trust in the last few years. Um, so it's just been a great culmination of, of a lot of things and, um, and putting into practice everything that I learned from you <laughs> at CFIG and, um, it has been, has been a big, big part of it. But, um, honestly, what really makes me happy is when I start to see, you know, people like, you know, like Alan, who I've worked with since 2007, he was my SEO intern, our SEO intern is just, and, and seeing them and, and seeing that talent really develop and um, garner their respect from clients because that means that we've we've trained them well and um, and the fact that they are now at that point where they're at their own inflection point as being a leader um, makes me even more proud. Yeah, I agree. That, that That's something that makes me so happy. In fact, I got an email this week from one of our former colleagues who just got named co-head of a big division of... Uh, of a big asset management platform. And he, he said he was reflecting and reflecting back on CFIG and what he learned there and his partnership. And that makes me so happy. I, it just makes me so happy to know that people think back to that and realize that, you know, we, part of our jobs as leaders is to invest people with skills, but also with confidence, with, you know, to, to trust themselves, to trust their creativity. And I have always been the kind of person that, you know, if somebody leaves and goes on to another job, I mean, obviously you don't want to lo- ever lose a valuable team member, but I think that reflects well on you as a leader. If somebody else wants someone from your team, not that we're encouraging anyone to recruit people away, but I, you know, I, I sort of wish them well. I want my progeny to go out in the world and right. thrive and, and, um, and, you know, use those things that both the values and the skills that they learned at, at our firm. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's absolutely wonderful to hear, you know, I mean, we all love Alan, so I'm really happy yeah. to hear that he's thriving as well. Yeah. I, well, and I think you... it's, I was just no, going to say the mindset, the mindset I feel like in this industry is just about, you know, it's just a very, the pie is limited, right? And we think about it in a different way where we think about having a bigger pie and growing our pie and I think there's a lot of that, right? And I think there's a lot of that um, where this thinking that if you're advancing, it's taking something away from you. And and, and I think that mindset is what really differentiates um, people like you and people like me, right? Because we're, we're trying to make everyone better. And we think that just with time, 
the pie will grow and everyone can get a potentially a bigger share, but most people don't have that mindset. Um, and I think that that's not going to work out in the end uh, because the partnerships and the support that we have um, who have that mindset, you know, you're going to end up in, you're going to end up um, better off in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it, I never think it's a zero sum game. Couldn't agree more. So is there um, something that you would point out to as a particularly fun or creative moment in your career? Fun and creative. Um, well, I, I will talk about, you know, I think for me, the fun and creative was everything we did on the DNI and the emerging manager space. I think we were um, and, and still continue to be on the, at the forefront of that. Um, I think the other thing that I would say that was just, I mean, fun for me and, and, and fun in a way that you, we, we were able to develop more talent along the way was all the efforts we had around um, SEO and Tweeko and just seeing like talent who would have never entered into this industry and, and creating bridges for them, enabling them. Um, I Similar today, um, been very involved with IDAC, which started out with um, the, the consultants and NEPC. And so I sit on that board and we just came off of that. So to me, that's fun. I mean, some people may look at me and say that's work, but to me it's fun, right? Because we're breaking a lot of barriers um, and barriers that have existed for, for, for many, many generations. And we're making strides right here. We're trying to, we're trying to catch up for um, many years of, of underrepresentation in the asset management industry. So, so that's my fun for, for me. Yeah, I would agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, certainly um, in the early days of our emerging manager conferences, you know, setting them right. up in LA and Texas and Michigan and all the fabulous places that we would do it to really highlight our clients and the work that they were doing to support this industry. Um, I agree with you. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it was definitely a lot of fun. It was like planning a wedding, though. And then, you know, you'd see all your friends and then your family members and, and so forth at, at the wedding. So that's how I kind of describe it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I totally agree. That's exactly how it feels. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with more from Mina Pacheco Nazemi. We would like to take a brief break to thank PE Wins founding sponsors, Kane Anderson Real Estate and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at pewin.org. Now back to today's guest. We're back with Moments That Made Her and my guest, Mina Pacheco-Nazemi. Um, we have been having a fantastic conversation, reminiscing a bit. Um, yeah. So I always, I always ask this question because um, I, I, I have so many answers to it. But, um, you know, those of us who make it to senior ranks obviously have had success, but all of us have had some failures along the way. And are there any teachable moments that you can think of that stand out that really helped you grow that you were able to reflect on and kind of incorporate into your uh, yourself and your career to, to propel you forward? 
Yeah, I, as a many poly um, listeners and P when women um, probably are, are like me and we're all type A's, right? And it can be um, our standards and our, our expectations are so, so, so high, right? And we have that, we put that onus on ourselves. And we also put that onus um, on our, our teams as well. So I would say that's a teachable moment where, in fact, I will give you full credit where sometimes you say, you got to let people fail, right? And I got to let myself fail, but you got to let people fail as well. And um, it took me a very long time um, for me to really understand what that means. But without failure, you don't have growth. And, um, and sometimes, um, there needs to be kind of as a leader, you gotta let people try their best, do what they need to do. Um, but if they fail, they can learn from those experiences versus me being that helicopter parent coming in, um, to try to fix all those problems. So I would say that for me has been more of my teachable moment. Um, I think about that all the time and, um, and, it, and it's, it's, it's circular at the end of the day too, right? Um, if I don't let myself fail, I don't let my team fail and, and, and then people don't, don't grow. So I would say that is my, my biggest teachable moment that um, I got to, I got to remember and remind myself every day. Yeah. You know, that's actually, it's, it's really important because I said earlier, obviously um, it's important for women as leaders to let people see them win but I always think it's it's important um, when you do fail or when there's a failure or when a mistake to actually, you know, kind of talk about it and debrief it with the team. Because I remember when we were at, well, I was at Prudential, we had had a long history of having CEOs who were actuaries, right, who were very precise mm-hmm. And when I was there, it was the first time they had hired a CEO who did not come from the insurance background. They hired Art Ryan from Chase. And Art came in and he said, look, I, you know, I want to see you guys fail. I, you know, I want, I want an 80-20 rule. I don't want you to win 100% of the time because if you do, you're not taking enough risk. And by nature, private equity is an asset class where we're asked to take risk and you're going to fail sometimes. And so if you don't let people know that it's okay to fail and that, you know, things things will be okay, you create a culture where I, I think it's a very unhealthy culture. People are afraid to tell you things. They're pra- afraid to tell you when they make mistakes. And so as much as it's important to have, particularly for women leaders, to, to show your team when you're succeeding and, and help them understand how you're doing it. It's also important to let people know that it's okay to fail and that there are solutions. There are ways, you know, to, to address it if you do fail. And, and, and I think taking it one step further, sometimes failures leads to great opportunities too, right? Where you may think it's the end of the world that you ended up in a situation, but you may have never seen another opportunity if you didn't have that failure. And so fundamentally, as long as you're doing the right thing, you're working hard and you may have a failure in your life, it's okay. There may be a small setback, but um, there's a, there, there are other things out there that maybe that if you didn't have that failure, you would have never had those doors open to you. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I still remember there was a one, 
one piece of business that we were trying really hard for and we did a ton of work and like free work for this client. And ultimately, um, at the 11th hour, they brought in a new team member and that person made a decision to go with another provider. And I remember like, oh my gosh, you know, we had invested so much time in that. But I called the CIO and I thanked the CIO for giving us the opportunity and just, you know, and I, well, that was very sincere. I was very grateful. And I got a call back and said, look, you really didn't want that other business. It was low margin. It's not like the gold plated business. You really want this other business. And because of the way you handled it, you're in the driver's seat. So you're right. I mean, sometimes you think of something as a failure and you don't realize the universe is protecting you from something that maybe you shouldn't do and, uh, yeah. and teeing you up to do something more interesting. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I want to move on to one of our favorite parts of, uh, of Moments That Made Her, which is the lightning round. So uh, I'm going to ask you a series of quick questions. Yeah. Um, you know, get your reaction, get your response, and uh, and we'll move through that. So my first question for you is, is there a great book that you've read or listened to recently? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and now the name is completely escaping me, but um, actually, um, it's, a, it's a famous African author, and... Um, and it, it's now I now I feel like, you know, I had written it down and I took Coley is, is escaping me. But um, he's the author of Things That Fall Apart. And it's the subsequent oh, yeah. the book of that. Um, so mm-hmm. and um, and I thought it was it, it was a really great book and really inspiring um, because it, it just spoke to someone with such high, high integrity and um, who had been the smartest person in his village and he got sent to study in Oxford. And he, um, and he comes back to Africa and ends up, um, even though he had these high standards, all the corruption in the system, yeah, ended up- Chinua Achebe, um, yeah. Achebe, yeah. And I think about that um, and why it just really struck home is we've been in this business for a long time and, and, and you sometimes see people make bad decisions, right? And there was an element of, um, it goes through the story of how it was, it, it was like a little bit of a, it wasn't a bribe, but it was kind of a, you know, and ends up being a full out bribe in the end. Um, and in this business, I always say there's a lot of gray and you maintain your integrity in this business by staying on the right side of the line. And even though you have someone with the best heart and the smartest, um, you see some people fall into that. Um, and so it was just, for me, it was, I mean, such a, a wonderful author, but I really, it just really struck home just having seen, I mean, especially all this stuff going on with FTX. It's a, you see how people just fall prey um, yeah. to that in this industry, especially when um, it's a business with so much money and, and everything go around. So um, I really loved it and obviously love to support um, authors who are diverse as well. Yeah, great, great choice. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure television show that you watch? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, but I'm all into very like English <laughs> shows. So, um, 
I, I've obviously watched The Crown and Downton Abbey, and um, and and so anyway, I, I love 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 that that stuff, and I have no idea why, but I I'm just kind of obsessed <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, and then Call the Midwife, I love that show too, and maybe that's because my mother was an OBGYN, so there was an element oh, of that. Yeah. That is uh, my my guilty pleasure whenever I have a chance to actually like watch TV <laughs> um, yeah. versus just going home and like doing the 900 other things that we have going on. <laughs> right. With with two kids. So you've yeah. got plenty going on for sure. Um, yeah. My mother my mother is a devout uh, subscriber to Acorn and BritBox and all the British television shows. So yeah, I, I understand that. Um, so what's your cell phone wallpaper? My cell phone wallpaper, um, is my, my kids and, um, my kids actually put my sister's little dog who's a Havanese on it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so great. not my dog, but you know, it's kind of yeah. my, my adult, you know, you know, she's my niece. <laughs> right. She's your niece. I understand. I understand. Um, so if you had a career other than in private equity, what would it be? Um, where, where money was no object, I would be on the slopes as a, like, you know, a ski, a snowboard, snowboard instructor. Just, just love it. And anytime wow. I can go get the slopes, love it, love it. So that's amazing. So I've known you for so long. I didn't know that about you. That's oh wait, cool. yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, a, a girl from LA. Uh, I would go to Mammoth all the time, and I'd love to ski and snowboard. So even though my husband's from Colorado, I'm better skier than he is. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Well, it sounds like maybe we need a PE win ski trip sometime because that's I know what there we are a need. Lot of Absolutely. Skiers. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely. are a lot of great skiers. I am not one of them, but I'm very good at après ski. So, après ski um, is the way to go, right? We got to get there <laughs> with the hot tub and, you know, definitely. Sure. That's the... um, so I think maybe I now know the answer to this. Are you a dog or a cat person? A dog. Dog. A dog. Obviously, yeah. if you're putting your your sister's yeah. dog on your phone, that's yeah. clear. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? not about winning the battle but the war absolutely got to play the long game got to play the long game and um and actually you know bringing it back home to prudential um my mentor at prudential was um a very senior african-american guy who um actually was dr D dr harold davis and he um he basically put me, there was maybe four of other um, people of color who were um, were interns there when we first started our, our kind of our jobs, our careers there. And he, he said, you got to go buy the book, Art of War. And he said, you need to understand this. So, um, you know, it's all full circle, right? And, um, and there's so many things that you can learn from just, you know, so many different um, um you know, different, you know, different uh, ancient civilizations like the Chinese, they, they have a lot of um, just logic and just such such wise, wise thoughts, wise comments, wise ways to think about the world. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not about the battle, but it's always about the war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then my final question is, what's one thing we, we don't know about you? Maybe that we'd be a little surprised to know about you. Um, 
Yeah, the the that's a that's a little bit hard. I, as every I'm I'm pretty open. Um, I I'm pretty <laughs> I, I I you know most people kind of know me. I I don't know. I um I would say I've been uh, I've been trying to learn how to be a better cook, and um and so maybe that's one thing. And I I know you have. You have the premier cook in your own household, so um, maybe I have to get Andrew to give me some good lessons. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I've been have trying to come to learn, over. Yeah, I'm trying to learn how to cook. Especially my father is the the one that cooks, and he's uh, 85 now, and he's the one that does all the Persian cooking. So, I've been trying to learn from him, but you know, so it's uh, so it's a little bit of role reversal there, especially with an Iranian 85 year old man where he's doing the cooking, yeah. and I'm you know. <laughs> So, wow, but Persian yeah. food is so good. Oh my gosh, so, so that's definitely oh, yeah. a good thing. Definitely, good not thing a lot of it in Charlotte. <laughs> so. yeah. No, that, yeah, no. I can attest to that. Unless it's yeah. fried, there's not a lot yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. this has been so much fun. Um, as always, it's always great when we get together and can talk. But I even, even though I've learned known you for a long time, I learned some things I didn't know. So thank you, Mina, for being my guest today on Moments That. No, well, thank you. Thank you. As always, it's always great. Um, and always learning from you. And I think this is an amazing podcast because we all can learn from you and all the other amazing women out there. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PEWIN Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording. This recording is provided as is and PEWIN expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged, the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by PEWIN and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without PEWIN's prior written consent. Any third-party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon.